0: Um, so today we're going to be finishing the letter of First John, so that's exciting. We're going to be in, we're going to um, go through all of Chapter Five, and I titled this um, study "Overcoming This World Through the Power of the Testimony of Christ." So let's go ahead and read the whole chapter, and then we'll go back to the beginning. Um, so it says, "Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ." Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is a testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him, who is true, and we are in him who is true. And his son, Jesus Christ, he is a true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Okay, so let's go back to the first um, three verses. One moment. Okay, so the first three verses say, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. <clears throat> By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments, for His, um, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. So whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is born of God. And we cannot possibly love the Father And not love his son. The son is the heart of the father. And apart from the son, the father is not going to receive any sacrifice or worship from us. The father loves Jesus above all else and is faithful to him. And in giving his one and only son, God shows and proves to us that love involves dying to self, denying yourself of instant gratification, and it involves pain. Jesus Christ lived on earth for 30 years, denying himself of the majesty that he shared with his father in heaven. And the father, instead of gratifying his wrath on the human race, he waited until the right moment um, to send Jesus to us. And in him, satisfying his wrath, showing us what it looks like to be long suffering. And in pain, did God redeem the world back to himself? And there was no way around it. There was no way around the crucifixions need to happen. There was no other way by which God chose to bring salvation to mankind, and this was his only plan. And it is not only sufficient, but it is what he has chosen to describe for us what it means to love another. He so loved the world that he chose to sacrifice that which he loves the most, his son, and he denied himself of an an easier way which probably would have just been all of our eternal death, in order to redeem the world. And it took his son bearing undeserved, painful wrath in order that we might be reconciled to him. And not only that, but that we would also become his righteousness. So to love Jesus Christ, the firstborn of God, is our only reasonable response. If we are to live for God and love him with all that we are. And then this transfers into loving our brothers and sisters in Christ as a fulfillment of the two greatest commandments that Jesus spoke of. And they are not a burden to live out. When we think of needing to love our brother or a sister and it costs us our comfort, our first response should not be an eye roll followed by a heavy sigh. To have the ability to both will and do to obey the commandments that our God has assigned us are privileges. Um, He doesn't need us, but we are some of the vessels that he's chosen to use in order to remind his children and the world of his love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. So to be obedient to these things is not a burden, nor should we view it as one. Um, And verses 4 and 5 say, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So it will be those who have placed their faith in Christ that have recognized him as the Son of God that will overcome this world. It is our faith in Christ that will sustain us until the very end. And the more that we get to know him, and the more more we spend time with him, the more we will love him, and the more we will become unmovable and unshakable when the tempter comes and accuses us when sickness comes and takes away our health or when poverty comes and we have nowhere to rest our head it will be our faith in christ that will strengthen us when um when death takes someone that we love away and when everything around us is falling apart it's going to be our trust in the goodness of god that's going to create in us a heart and a soul that is persevering and that is able to endure the coldest of winters and the hottest of summers, and from them um, we will come out pure as gold. And we say this uh, every single time that we meet, but we have to. You have to read your Bible, and you have to fall in love with it, and you have to let it take root in all that you are, because you're just you're never going to invest your time in anything of more value than this. Abide and persevere, and be faithful, and hold fervently onto Him who has rescued you out of darkness. Um, in Christ not only will we be able to survive this world but we're going to be able to thrive and conquer it and we'll never walk alone because he said so he said that he would not leave us as orphans and that he would be with us until the very end and if he said it then it's trustworthy and um and we can abide we can trust in it and not have any doubts in that um verse six says this is he who came by water and blood Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood, and the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. So the water and the blood could mean, like, the birth of Jesus, but I think that it, but I think that it means the water baptism that he, um, that he received from John the Baptist. And the blood testifies of his atoning death on the cross. And the spirit is the one who testifies or who confesses or who is in agreement with that this is true, that Jesus is the son of God and the Messiah. The way that um, the way that verse 6 is structured makes an emphasis this—that this, that it is an inherent work of the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the fact that Christ did in fact come. And it's the inward work of the spirit in our hearts to convict us of sin and to open our eyes to see the truth of Jesus, of who Jesus is, and to understand um, the meaning of his atoning death for our sins. And the indwelling presence of the spirit has been given to abide in us and to teach us the truth of God's word. And verses seven and eight say for there are three that testify the spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree um so john is stating that it is not only human testimony that counts but more importantly it is the holy spirit the water baptism of jesus when the spirit descended from heaven in the form of a dove and then the father the voice of the father was heard from heaven declaring that jesus is his son in whom he is pleased and the blood which cleanses us from all unrighteousness. This is a testimony that is of more worth than human testimony. These three agree, therefore we believe, therefore they provide um, sufficient affirmation for believing in Jesus as the Son of God when we're asked why we believe in jesus christ not only as our savior but as a son of god our answer cannot be simply that that's what feels right in our hearts but that it is a truth of god and it can, it can be backed up by historical fact what we believe in is not a fairy tale it is a truth of god um and verse 9 says if we receive the testimony of man the testimony of god is greater For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. So the testimony of God is above ours. It is divine authority that gives John's testimony its power. What he has shared in this letter for the readers is not merely his testimony, it's God's. Um, In verse 10 to 12, say, Whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So whoever believes that Jesus is the son of God has a testimony of the spirit in them, meaning that the spirit is dwelling in them. Whoever does not believe has made him a liar. So people who reject the Son of God, a Savior, or who are indifferent toward Him are only provoking God to His face, and it's a very terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the Living God because He is an all-consuming fire. The testimony that supports faith in Christ is not like a superficial hunch, something that like we're like, oh, this is just what feels right, but it has definite substance. It is the message of Jesus' incarnation, um, death, and resurrection through which eternal life has been made available through faith in him. So to have the son implies a faith that is evident in the way that we love other people and in our devotion to God. And whoever does not have life is subject to eternal punishment. And that's just the way it is. We're either alive in Christ or we're dead in sin because Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Um, In verses 13 through 15, say, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that um, we have asked of him. So John, our brother, who was an eyewitness to the life, death and resurrection of Christ, wrote this to his brothers and sisters in the Lord, those who have um, placed their entire trust um, for salvation in Jesus, so that we would have the assurance that we have eternal life. And because we belong to Christ, we can have confidence that, um, that he hears us when we call to him in prayer, and that he answers us and says yes when we pray, according to his will. And in order for us to learn and pray according to his will, um, it goes back to our need to seek his word so that we may know and learn and pray in those ways. Um, and we know that he hears us and the requests that we have asked of him are yes. And that is so amazingly beautiful that God, the one who created everything, the one who owns everything, the one who um, has a power over your eternal um, your eternal. What is it like where you're going to end up? Like he hears us and he grants us what we are asking of him. And we can have an audience with him at any time. And we are not going to be turned away and we're not going to be rejected. And he will always do what is best for us. Um, and verses 16 to 17 say, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit Um, to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. One moment. Okay, so for these two verses, um, I'm not going to pretend that I know how to explain them. I relied on my study Bible notes because I don't know how to explain what they mean. So, according to the ESV Study Bible, sin that is not leading to death is sin for which forgiveness is possible because one, forgiveness is sought for, and two, God is willing to grant it. So, sin that leads to death um, is probably sin that one is some is unrepentant of, like you're not, you don't care that you're sinning, or you know that you're in sinning, you're in sinning, you just don't care and two of the kind of nature that john has warned us about throughout the letter so absolute rejection of the true doctrine of christ or chronic or ongoing disobedience to god's commandments and then a persistent lack of love for fellow believers these are all indications of lack of faith which will not be forgiven. forgiven um and then john says i do not say so leaving open whether to pray um, for those situations if they arise. So it would, <clears throat> but it will always be better for us to pray for repentance because Second Peter 3, 9 says that God is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is um, patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So all wrongdoing is a matter of serious concern when we understand God's absolute perfection and zealous love. And since not all sin leads to death, we should be proactive in seeking forgiveness of sin for ourselves and for others as well, because this is part of loving our family in Christ. Um, And then verse 18 um, says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he um, he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. So this is a three-part verse. The first part of the verse says, um, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. So if you are born of God, you will not keep on sinning, meaning your pleasure, your satisfaction is no longer in the things that you once craved or lusted after. The shiny appearance of sin is no longer as appealing. as appealing because it still has some appealment or is, so, or is able to so easily deceive you because God has opened your eyes to the darkness that hides behind the attractive presentation. Um, C.H. Spurgeon, my friend, said, if Christ has died for my sin, I cannot trifle with the evil that kills my best friend, and we should have the same sentiment. Since God dealt graciously with you and me, then we should hate that for which he died. Um, and then the second part of verse 18 says, but he who was born of God protects him. Um, I'm reading from the ESB, but in the NASB, he, the he is capitalized, but he who was born of God keeps him speaking about Jesus. So let us look at a few verses for this second part and let's go to Psalm 89, 27. so psalm 89:27 says i also shall make him my firstborn the highest of kings in the earth and let's go to uh, um <clears throat> sorry let's go to john chapter 1 verse 18 John 1.18 says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is the, in the bosom of the father, he has explained him. And Romans 8.29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn of many brethren. Um, and let's look at a few more verses so jesus is the firstborn of god um let's go to psalm chapter 2 or psalm 2 verse 7 says i will surely tell of the decree of the lord he said to me you are my son today i have begotten you and let's go to hebrews um chapter 2 hebrews chapter 2 verses 11 through 15, say, For the, for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I the children whom god has given me therefore since the children share in the flesh and blood he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death that is the devil and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives so jesus our brother is the one who protects his brothers and sisters those those whom he has purchased his father with his blood and lastly for this verse um it says and the evil one does not touch him so there is no weapon that can be formed against us that will succeed in our ultimate destruction as long as we are under the covering of the one seated at the right hand of the father does the enemy hate us and want to destroy us absolutely will he do what he is able to In order to do this, yes, but the ability to tempt and to attempt to hurt us um, will only happen with God's permission. Sorry, the enemy might be in control of the systems of this world, but God is in control of all things and is able to see far beyond um, what our enemy is able to see. The enemy is short-sighted while God is not. The small victories that the enemy may experience in our weaknesses and in our failures have been covered and they've been paid for he knows absolutely nothing about repentance and does he and neither does he know anything about grace and the things that are able to reconcile us immediately to our heavenly father when we do Um, fall into weaknesses and it is here that we need to remember that our Lord and our brother Jesus protects us he is interceding on our behalf so that we pass the test and we end the race well and he has not left us as orphans he has provided um he has provided another helper not only to survive but to be more than conquerors in him and that is the Holy Spirit if this type of discipline seems harsh and unfair, remember that we're never going to walk through anything in this life that the firstborn of God hasn't already walked through or hasn't already prepared a way for us. If we are to be his disciples and followers then we are to marry him and join him in all things as heirs of his kingdom and we can take comfort in knowing that there is nothing new under the sun the enemy's tactics although they are alluring and and enticing are the same and they're only varying or different in their approach there is no temptation in our life right now or in the past or that is going to come tomorrow that is not common to mankind God is faithful and he would not let us be tempted beyond what we are, we are able to bear. But when we are tempted, he will always provide a way for us um, out so that we can endure. And that's in First Corinthians 10, 13. So our loyalty and faith are, reform, are refined and made pure in this way. Why? I don't know, but God is good and faithful. And because of this, we can trust him in those in those um. In those times of weakness. Um, And verse 19 says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So if or since we are in Christ, we have the assurance that we belong to God. We belong to the kingdom that is But that is not yet clearly seen. And the structures and the currents of this world are under the power of the evil one, power that is not derived from himself, something that we forget often, but allowed and given from God. And this is something that we need to remember. The enemy's rule is not an everlasting one, it has an expiration date. And one day soon, all of the world will see the majesty of God, his glory, and his testimony. And there is no one that, and that there is absolutely no one greater or more powerful to him and to God be the glory for that. Um, in verse 20, says, and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is a true God and eternal life. Christ grants us the gift of faith and understanding through the work of the Holy Spirit so that we may know him who is true In John 17, three, Jesus says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There's only one God and eternal life and his name is Jesus. And then um, John ends the, the letter saying, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourself from idols, keep guard and be watchful over your soul. Don't allow yourself to trust, to obey, to follow, to worship, anyone or anything lesser than God and his son Jesus Christ. We need to know him, we need to obey him, and we need to trust him. And in doing these three, we're going to overcome this world. Um, And that's all that I have for you guys today.